Hello friends, welcome to Faith at the Front Counter. I'm Nikiko. I'm Savannah. Today we'll be talking about The Bachelorette and Pastor Joel Hunter's pro-life evangelicals for Joe Biden. And our final story is a good human story. So let's get started. Did you watch The Bachelorette last night? I did. Did you? Of course. (laughs) My guy, Damar, is on there. Yes. (laughs) He's on there. I took a couple of spin classes with him. And so, and I think he was the manager of the place. So I got to talk with him a few on a few occasions, but he's great. I don't think he ends up to be a finalist because they're not showing him enough. Yeah. We barely see him. (laughs) I'm having my fingers crossed. (laughs) Yes. He seems like a good guy. Okay. So can I just be honest? I'm struggling to watch the show because I'm not a fan of Claire's and I feel like you have Mm. to be a fan of hers and want her to win love if you want to keep watching the show. And I'm just struggling with some things that she's doing and saying. I resonate a lot with that. I really want to root for her as I would want to root for anyone, but I, I am also struggling a little bit. I don't, I haven't always agreed with all of her decisions on the show so far, given we're only two episodes in and I was distracted by pumpkin carving last night a little (laughs) bit. So, but so far I probably would have made some different choices if it was me. Right. Multitasking. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I have to just bring up, I hate being critical, but this was one of the reasons I'm like, okay. And it was at the beginning of the show that I was like, okay, I'm not really enjoying her that much was because do you remember when she was pulled aside? Well, she had to like essentially hint that the met somebody needed to take her aside for a one-on-one date. And then she went on that little one-on-one side date. And then she was still upset that she had to hint to these group of men that she was on a date with that, you know, that they needed to like step up and ask her to like spend time with her. So then she leaves her one-on-one date and she goes back and basically calls them out for doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, what is that about? And that was one of the things that she did that I was like, Oh, oh no. I just feel like, go ahead. Oh yeah. I really, I, that was a little cringy for me too. I, for me, I think I just kept thinking, well, maybe they didn't know that it was time. Like I kept giving the guys the benefit of the doubt. Uh, just thinking like, maybe they thought that like the producers or that Claire would hint that it's now time to like, have those one-on-one talks and maybe they were just trying to be respectful. (laughs) Right. And I was thinking, cause the earlier in the day, they were on a group date earlier and it was all planned. So they Mm -hmm. had that dodgeball game that happened. And so I thought they probably were used to being directed. Okay. Now you're going to play dodgeball and, and then this is going to happen. And then they just had them, her come in and do drinks and there wasn't a lot of direction because I'm sure they're interrupting all of these dates, you know, (laughs) in between to give a little bit of direction. You're going to do this or that because 
we know reality television is not reality. It's yes. Yes. It's more scripted than we think or directed more than we think. So when she did that, I'm like, okay, I'm really wanting to like you, but it's really hard. Cause I like the, which is funny because people watch these shows for the drama, but it's like, I want no drama, like from Mm -hmm. the main person. And I felt like she was creating a bit of drama with that. Yeah. That's a good point that you would hope that they play sort of a calming of the drama role. And it's instead she did kind of seem to be the one creating some of it. And I noticed that as well. Um, and I can't remember his name, but she was having a conversation with a man and she asked him basically what he liked about her and why he wanted to come on the show. Right. And he said that she was gorgeous. And she said, is there anything else? And he didn't have anything else to say. And she was really annoyed by that. And I guess I couple things. One is I understand where you want to hear like, well, I'd hope you were here for me and my personality more than my looks, right? Like, right. Hope. At the same time, none of the guys have met her before this. So to think that they could know some of her like core traits is a little far-fetched. Like I thought that was a little unreasonable for her to expect that. And even for her to say, well, the other guys have said that they like me for my drive. They like me for my personality. This is terrible. But in my mind, all I could think was, yeah, but they're BSing you a little bit. <laughs> like they all none, of, none of them know you. They're picking up on random social media posts and some clips from television and they're projecting onto you some ideas and mentioning them to you. Like that's the extent they don't know who you are inside. Um, and so I just thought that was a little unfair of, for her to hold that against him so strongly. Like, she, I mean, she sent him home for that. Um, and on the other side, part of me was like, okay, come on, man. You could have mentioned something like her vibe, her, right. her energy, just like pull yourself out of this somehow. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a little, little more extreme of a reaction to that than, than was warranted. Right. Right. That's what I thought to you. I mean, that was my other thing that I, I, I didn't terribly enjoy. And I think the other reason I'm struggling So I have not watched The Bachelor or Bachelorette for a long time because they've always had white um, Mm -hmm. bachelors and bachelorettes for the most part. And after a while, when they weren't going to choose someone of color or I was like, okay, I can't, I just cannot in good conscience watch this anymore. Even though I like love romance, I love all of that, you know? Um, So I mean, I essentially wanted to watch it because, you know, Damar's on it. So that's why I watched it again. Yeah. But I was excited too, because the cast is a lot more di- diverse. I feel like this round, there's mm-hmm. a lot more diversity. in. And I think there's still going to be more room for it. Um, but you're right. I think there's more than we've seen in the past. And, um, but what's making it hard for me to watch it, I, ha- I realized because on the first night, when Dale came out, she said something to the effect that she met her husband. 
And so every interaction, I'm cringing at every interaction she's having with these other men, knowing that she already said that. And it seems like whenever she has an interaction with Dale, it's really strong. And I'm like, oh, they're going to get their hearts broken. That's why they're so invested. (laughs) And you want her to give them at least a chance. Yes, exactly. Rumor has it that she leaves early with Dale. Yes, I heard that. Yeah. Which if is, if that's true, I mean, it's hard to, to imagine that she's really giving these other guys a chance if they, if she leaves right. early with him, if she's that sure about Dale, right. she may not have given much thought to some of the others. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And then I think the thing that I thought, oh my gosh, it really bothered me. It just sounds like I hate this show. No, I don't. <laughs> Who doesn't want to watch a bunch of attractive men? <laughs> Pure entertainment. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm single, so <laughs> anyway. We all but have when, eyes. Yeah, but when she said, I know I'm not the, the youngest person in the room. Do you remember that part? I know mm-hmm. I'm not the youngest or the skinniest person in the room, meaning she's not the most eligible bachelorette when she's in occasions where she's maybe in mixed mm-hmm. company or wherever she might need somebody. But, you know, and that just really bothered me. I was like, oh my gosh, like she's saying that if you're like of a certain age, that you're not eligible anymore or that she's not skinny. That like, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like they did show her in a bikini. I'm like, yeah. How much skinnier do you need to be? Like Exactly. And um anyway, so I thought that those were interesting comments. Um one of my friends said that they thought she was just insecure by her comments. But I think it's more than that. I think it's a lot of what our society tells women yeah. that they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is that they tell women that they need to be partnered by a certain age, you know, or married mm-hmm. by a certain age. And certainly in the church, that is a very strong message that gets sent. And so then I was like, okay, I want to know my favorite site is the Pew Research Center for data. Yeah. <laughs> stuff. Anything. <laughs> Go there, everybody. <laughs> you will find your, the information you're curious about. Because then I'm like, well, I want to know what the percentage of singles are in the United States and what's the age ranges that are that people are single. So currently, um, it says at, the, um, at that site is that 31% of the people in the United States are single. What do you think about that? Mm. Do you think that's where you thought it would be, or did you think it would be less or more? I actually thought it would be a little bit lower. I think Mm, mm -hmm. I probably would have guessed closer to 20%. What about you? Okay. So I think this is perspective. So Savannah's married and I'm single. So I, and I know a lot of single people and I thought it would be higher, honestly. Mm. Um, so um, they break down um, that 31% and they uh, do it by different demographics. And so they said 28% of white people are single, 47% of black people are single, and 27% of 
of Hispanics are single. Where's the Asians? Come on, you know. Yeah, good <laughs> I, question. I would like to know, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, where there's no, well, I guess there's no single Asian people. <laughs> the only is that what Pew is trying to communicate yeah. to us? N equals one. <laughs> They're not going to sample it. <laughs> and the largest um, single category is 18 to 29 by 41%. Mm. And the second largest is 65 plus, which is 36%. Interesting. And then, yeah. And then this kind of surprised me between men and women, it's, this, it's about equal. So 31% of men are single and 31% of women are single. Mm. That bodes well for me. I'm glad about that. There you go. (laughs) This is where it's not great. So this is, so then they break down the men um, who's single among the men. Okay. 51% of single men are in the category of 18 to 29. Wow. 30 to 49 year olds, there's 27% single people in that range. 50 to 64 is 27%, and 65 plus is 21%. So wow. it's too bad I'm not between 18 to 29, because that would be the best age to. And okay, so this is interesting. It's it's like lopsided for women. So for women, the largest category of single um, people is 65 plus. Wow. Yeah. And 18 to 29 year olds who are single, that's 32%. So there are less single women than single men. So that bodes well for that age group. So if you're 18 to yeah. 29 and you're looking for a man, there's more of single men than women. I wonder what contributes to that statistic. I wonder if that's because, and obviously there are exceptions to this, but a large percentage of um, couples, of heterosexual couples, at least the women is off, the woman is often younger. And so I wonder if, yeah, that's interesting. And I've actually said that because Damar is 26. Mm -hmm. That's quite a bit younger than Claire. Yeah. And she's 39. And so that's what, 13 years difference. Mm. And I said, I think, and I felt, I feel bad. I want to say, I wish I did not have thought this thought in my head, but I think she's too old for him. Like I, Mm. I said that comment and then I'll say my caveat, but I said, I know that if Claire was a man that was 39 years old and Damar was a woman who is 26 years old. I might not say that. Mm. I might not. I probably wouldn't. I think a lot of people wouldn't. But because yeah. he's the one that's younger, it's not as acceptable for older women to date younger men. Whereas, mm-hmm. And so I think that's true that these younger women are dating into my pool of men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And making it less, less men available in my age group. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. That means I'm going to have to date younger Savannah. <laughs> There's no rule against it. Um, so they said, uh, okay, so this is the last uh, data I'm going to give is, um, so out of the single people, 29% are straight. Okay. 
But out of the LGBT, 47% are single. Hmm. So a much larger population of LGBT people are single. So I I don't, I'm curious to know why there's that discrepancy because that's very unexpected to me. Hmm. So, yeah. So then that kind of lends to the topic of, because we want to talk about the church and faith and all of that is, you know, being single in the church, I think is sometimes very difficult to be single because I think there's such a focus on people being married, Um, even when the person might not want to be married, there's this encouragement to be married. And I don't know how, because you got married fairly young. I don't Mm -hmm. know if there was a lot of pressure at your age. Because I did notice that um, my friend's son uh, goes to college and he's doing his undergrad. So he's like 20, something like that. And um, the Christian group that he's a part of had a dating workshop that he went to. Okay. This dating workshop was really a marriage workshop. And I was like, why are they talking about that? They're only 20. <laughs> like, you, yeah. Nobody should be getting married at 20, 21. Well, I'm sorry. I know you got married really young, but I have told students when I worked with students that were that age, I'm like, especially my women students, I said, don't get married till you're in your 30s. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was my encouragement. It's I, not bad advice. Yeah. I mean, so my husband was 25 when we got married and I was a couple months away from 25 and people would ask, you know, like, when are you getting married? And I, maybe I didn't feel pressure. Maybe it's just cause I didn't allow myself to feel pressure about it, um, to get married sooner, but I've definitely seen it, the pressures on other people and I know it exists. Um, but I think waiting to get married is not bad advice. I, we know that our brains don't fully develop until we're around 25. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm pro waiting to get married until you're a little bit older. And at the end of the day, um, you know, when, when my husband and I were dating, people would ask like, well, don't you want to get married soon? And in my mind, I always thought, well, I, plan on being with him probably the rest of my life. Like I, I plan on the fact that we'll get married someday. And so, because I think we're going to get married someday, I don't feel this really urgent sense of pressure to rush and get married. Now, if we're going to be married for the rest of our lives, I can wait a couple more years. That's okay. (laughs) Um, but I don't think that that's the culture of the church. (laughs) Right. What do you think is the pressure of the, why is the church pressuring people to get married? Especially because we know what Paul said. Um, We know Jesus was single. Um, Why do you think there's so much pressure on the church for people to get married? What is that about? I'm just curious. So I don't know that this is the reason, but something that just came to mind is, um, Within purity culture, um, that comes along with this idea that, like, that could be sex outside of marriage would be the worst possible thing that you could do in your life. 
and killing someone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Apparently that's worse. <laughs> the way they talk about it, right? Yeah, they don't talk about don't kill people. <laughs> don't <Yeah>. slander them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah. So I think. I think this sense that like, well, if we don't encourage our young people to hurry up and get married, then they're going to be more prey (laughs) to premarital sex. And we can't have that. That would be like the worst possible thing that could happen to our young people. And so we've got to encourage them to get into marriages. So at least they're having sex within marriage. And so that's my cynical (laughs) view of why I see pressure for young people to get married or all people in the church to get married. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are other contributing factors. What about you? What do you think? Uh, I hate agreeing with you, <laughs> <laughs> but I actually agree with you. I don't think that's changed from when I did my undergrad. I mean, I think it's part of why this Christian organization is pulling their 19 and 20 year olds to talk yeah. about marriage when it's about dating. The workshop was about dating. I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, great. Any, any environment we can talk about dating. Great. You know, I want to go to that workshop, but why does it have to be connected with marriage? You know, why, especially for a 19 or 20, 21 year old, why are you trying to communicate that message? And I can only think, and maybe I'm just as cynical. (laughs) I don't think it's cynical. I think it's actually realistic. I think the the reason is is that people are trying to control people's sexuality and trying to tell people that you can only have sex in marriage, essentially. Mm. And if you do not follow that, then what's what's the then? Then you're not a Christian. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I don't know what is what the label is, but yeah. But there is a huge emphasis in the church on sex. Like, yeah. And then this pro, very pro marriage, like there's not a lot of encouragement for singles. Right. And I, and I'd be, go ahead. And I, I think I've told you, I attended a church and stopped attending a church. It wasn't the only reason. It was just one of the reasons when I saw that all the elders were married couples that you actually had to be married in order to be an elder. I thought, okay, that excludes me. I'm not, I wasn't wanting to be an elder, but it excluded, excluded a lot of like maybe a woman single for a lot mm-hmm. of different reasons, you know, and absolutely. And they may be abiding by the Bible religiously and have a lot of wisdom and all of that but you're going to tell her or him that they cannot become an elder because they're not married. Which is interesting because that would then exclude Jesus himself from being an elder. Right. Right. (laughs) I feel like if there's any policy in any church that would exclude Jesus from being included, that should probably be uh, reconsidered. You think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, a signal that you might be off track. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Yes. And I think with that, 
that's a great ending. <laughs> Let's be like Jesus. <laughs> Let's be like Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to be single. <laughs> oh. uh, anyways. Okay, great. So our next topic um, for today is going to be Angelical pastor Joel Hunter. He served as President Barack Obama's spiritual advisor for eight years, but then he voted for Donald Trump back in 2016. Well, this time around, he's backing Vice President Joe Biden. Remember, of course, Christians formed Trump's base, but Hunter has formed a group called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. Here he is speaking to our Michelle Martin about what made him change. Pastor Joel Hunter, thank you so much for speaking with us. I'm honored. Glad to be on with you. You voted for Trump in 2016, but you're part of a group called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. Why did you decide to join this group and to help organize this group? Well, first of all, we want to make sure that the pro-life agenda is uh, expanded beyond birth. Um, we, we're no less anti-abortion, uh, but yeah, we know that the people who die from the pandemic, the people who die from a, a lack of access to health care, people who die from poverty and the opioid crisis and suicide um, and racism and the impacts of climate change on and on and on are just as important to God as those people who are still in the womb. Um, and so one of the things that we want to make sure of is that we are pro-life comprehensively. Um, and, and we even believe that if you pay attention to these other areas, it will reduce the choice for abortion. So it will ultimately reduce um, um, the number of abortions. We want to change the culture. We don't want to just change policy. It's one thing to say you're going to sort of vote for someone in the privacy of a voting booth. Uh, it's quite another to sort of go forward and put a group together to publicly embrace a candidate. You are lending your personal stature to this enterprise. So right. why, why, why this? I mean, this, I think, is the first time you've done this. What, why was this so important to you to do? I am now an outcast to many people who, um, who I was close to. Uh, and, and I had to pay a very high price to do this. I knew what was coming. Um, when, it, when the article in the Washington Post came out about this, uh, this uh, movement, and, uh, and then the very next day of, of a large article with my picture came out in the Orlando Sentinel. Um, immediately, uh, invitations to preach were withdrawn. I was taken off uh, the air of my daily um, um, devotions on one of the uh, on the Christian radio station um, was taken off the air. Um, now, the curious thing about this is, these are my friends, but they were so afraid of losing income and so afraid of losing their constituency that they just had to do that. So I totally get that. But the, the point, there came a time in my life um, where I projected four more years of President Trump and the kind of division and the kind of hostility and the kind of the, the tone of personal attack and what that would do to our capability of making policies that would actually solve the larger problems. I know Joe Biden. I, I, I worked with him uh, a couple of times in the White House. He's a good man. And he's wired 
to put together those coalitions. So what are your thoughts about Joel Hunter? Can I just say that the president of Fuller Seminary, where I graduated, was on that list of people who's supporting us. I'm so glad. Thank you, Richard Mao. I actually took a philosophy class from him, and so I'm like thrilled that he was on that list. Yes, that's really wonderful. Because he, I think he would have considered himself an evangelical leader, and mm. he's no longer the president of the seminary, but which probably makes it easier. I don't know, easier, harder, whatever to, to make, uh, a statement in support of uh, Joe Biden, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts? Well, right off the bat, I really feel like Joel Hunter is a brother <laughs> with us at the counter <laughs> here at the front counter, because, um, as we've talked about like that, I, love this idea of the front counter that we come feeling alone and we see that we're not after all. Um, and he is still standing up for what he believes. It doesn't sound like he's sacrificed any of his core values and his core beliefs. And he's choosing these values from his faith and out of his Christian worldview, which I respect. Um, and I think that's what you and I are trying to do here as well. And it reminds me, um, David French, he's a writer at the dispatch. He talks about recently he talked about the spiritual blessing of political homelessness mm. and how maybe when you take a stand for something like this, you aren't going to be accepted by the camp that you have always been accepted by. And so for Joel, it sounds like, you know, he, he was a spiritual advisor to Obama, but he then voted for Trump. And now he is voting for Biden. And to me, that embodies this idea of like, he is following his values and not just a party and not just a person. Um, And so that really resonates with me and I really respect him for that. And even maybe at the end of the day, there'd be things we disagree on. um, But I really respect anyone that stands for their values. So that's kind of what stood out to me about him in that clip. Yeah, I, okay, I'm going to be the the naysayer. (laughs) No, I, I'm incredibly happy and supportive of what he's doing. And it, it gives me a lot of hope. I wish he would have done that in 2016. Mm. Um, because, and that was like one of the reasons I ended up, I was kind of thought I would not enter another church in 2016, honestly. Um, because I watched Trump's rallies, like, you know, I saw like, I saw his racism and his prejudice against people with disabilities and, um, you know, and Mm -hmm. all of that. And I just could not understand why the church was not taking a stand. So, but better late than never. And truly, I mean, I think he understands, like, have I always been, um, 
understanding of social justice issues in the same way that I am now. No, like it's a, it's a process. It's a journey of becoming Mm -hmm. more enlightened and essentially it's a walk towards Jesus. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what I think people need to understand is that people who are, um, I believe really, um, standing in the word of God and, I'm not saying that people aren't standing in the word of God, but that's my impetus for this podcast and for social justice because, and it's why I have great disappointment in the church because I read the words of Paul. I read the words of Jesus. I hear the words and it's not what I see. You know, I don't see a president who is acting in a way that, fits and into what I was taught. And so I just, I'm glad he came out. I'm glad Richard Mao. I I mean, I don't know if Richard Mao was a Trump voter or not. I'm guessing he was, um, I could be wrong. Um, so he'd be great to have someone come on our podcast. Yes. (laughs) Richard Mao, wherever you are. Yes. Join us. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I'm excited. And at the same time, I'm sad for him because he's lost friends, he said, you know, mm-hmm. which I think, um, I think Savannah, you and I can probably can relate to that. We've probably lost friends that we didn't know we lost. <laughs> I mean, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, like. Well, and I would even say that even if not outrightly losing friends, right. um, you lose a little bit of some connection at times because you realize like, Oh wow, maybe we have a different worldview. Right. Right. Um, and I'm sad that the reason that he's losing friends is because of what he said was income and constituency. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because like he has, I'm sure the people that he is talking about friends with power and privilege and is my guess because of the, he's the pastor or was the pastor of a huge mega church um, that these are folks that would have incredible impact on their, you know, congregants about what they see, but they're not being, it, it almost sounds like they're not necessarily being honest or can't be because they will lose money, essential financial um, issues that would come up for them if they did. So I don't know. I struggle with that. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it is, you mentioned the, the financial piece and it is heartbreaking and disappointing that that plays into a lot of people's decisions about a lot of things. And, and for some people, I mean, it's a privilege to not have to make decisions based on money often. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same exact time, it is disappointing to see particularly leaders when money seems to be a primary factor. I understand when it is a factor, um, but when it becomes a primary factor, that is a tough thing to witness, especially in the church. Right. 
Right. And I, I suspect like people, um, like, I can't remember his name, the, the guy from Liberty University. Um, Jerry Falwell. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of what he was motivated by was money and power, status, um, all of that. And look where that gets you. Yeah. It's sad. It's really sad. It is. Um. Okay, so anything else you want to say about that? About that clip? Oh, so we did talk about voting uh, last at the end of the last podcast. You said yes. Vote. Have you voted? I am in the middle of voting (laughs) as we speak. (laughs) So I live in Oregon and across the state. you, we mail in our ballots or you, you have the option to drop them off, but your ballot is mailed to you automatically. That's been the case in Oregon for years. This is not new during COVID. You get a mailed ballot to you. It's wonderful. Um, and so I've gone through my ballot and the only thing that I haven't filled out yet is some of my local counselors. Um, and that's just because I'm still trying to do a little bit more research before I circle in those boxes Um, but I have filled out everything else in my ballot and I'm getting ready to drop it in the official ballot drop box tomorrow. I'm very excited. What about you? Have you voted yet? I have filled out my, um, ballot, but I'm like worried. I'm like, should I mail it? Like, you know, cause I I don't know if you've heard there's fake ballot boxes. There's people have burned, um, ballot boxes. And I'm like, should I mail it? Is that safe? Is that going to be okay? Or should I drop it off at a voting center? That's where I I don't know like what to do. Mm. So we'll see what happens. I'm so nervous about the election. I cannot wait till it's election day. We're getting close. Yeah. Are you going to class on election night? (laughs) I am, but I'm bummed we're having class on election night. <laughs> I might not be there. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't decided. Like, I just feel like this is the biggest, like normal, a normal election. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably go to class. Yeah. Although um, you've taken this professor before. Like, is it going to be a huge deal if I miss class? Because he covers a lot of content. I mean, he always will send out a recording. You'll just have to write the paper, but he'll always send out a recording. Yeah. See, I don't want to write the paper. So that's my biggest motivation to attend. So I'm planning on having the election results and tallies and everything going on in the back of my computer while I sit in class. So I'm, I will be there, but I also plan on being distracted. Okay. (laughs) I haven't decided because I don't want to write another paper. Like all I need is another assignment to do. (laughs) It's so true. I want to do another assignment. Um, Although I'm enjoying the reading, the the reading for the classes. Me too. This is a good quarter. Yeah, I'm really excited. We'll we'll be talking about it for sure in the future. Yes. One of the podcasts because I have stuff that I'd love to talk about you know, on affect emotion and mm. like really addressing that. I think that's really interesting. It's been so fascinating so far. Okay. 
So we're going to move on to our final topic, which is really the best topic that we'll be talking about today. And we're going to talk about Ms. Mildred. So um, give me one second. Four-year-old Mildred Madison, born when Coolidge was president, had her son drive her more than 600 miles from Illinois back home to Michigan so that she could vote after she never got her absentee ballot. Women got the last, especially black women, um, were the last ones that got the power to vote. It was wonderful to see a black woman running for vice president. Mildred Madison, I want to be like you when I grow up. Me too. Me too. So I think we kind of calculated how many hours would 600 miles be? Like, I don't know, 10? Yeah, probably somewhere around there. Can you imagine sitting in a car for 10 hours to vote? That's commitment. (laughs) It's really, really beautiful dedication. You are a good human, Ms. Mildred. You You are. are. And we love you so much. Thank you for voting. And yes, I'm voting for Kamala as well. I can't wait to see a Black Asian woman as vice president. I cannot wait. I want to see that happen. I'm so excited. I am so excited. And with that, this is our episode for Faith at the Front Counter. We will see you next week. Next episode, we'll have Sarah Reeve, who will be sharing her coming out story as we continue to celebrate National LGBTQ History Month. We hope that you will come back again. In the future, we'll be posting our weekly podcasts on Friday. You can contact us at contact at faithatthefrontcounter.com. If you have any guest suggestions or good human stories, please let us know. We'll see you next time here at The Front Counter. Bye, Savannah. Bye, Makiko.